From Studio A in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. Yeah, that's right. That's new opening music, kids. That is awesome. I love that. Rob the Engineer behind the glass. Thank you for putting that together. That, I like. By the way, I like. I do like that song best. Good job on that. Thank you. Uh, this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics from Podcast Village. Joining me in studio to my left, ironically, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade, who served on last count under four presidents. The one we know as Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. And joining us from the beautiful Bay Area of Northern California, he is the former Joe Biden Democratic political operative. He's also a lawyer in Maryland and D.C., the one we know as Dan Lipner Esquire. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Justin. And joining us from the windy city, the glorious shores of Lake Michigan, she is the former reporter and producer for NBC, ABC, and just pretty much our media goddess. We know her as Laura Chavez. Hi, Laura. Good afternoon, everyone. Oh, so good to have everybody. Hey, um, if you heard the last episode, you know that we've been kind of focused on the uh, the release of the Mueller report that happened last week. There's just so many nuances to this report that you just can't cram it into a regular 55, 60-minute podcast. So we decided to expand it to two, but there's still a lot of questions. For Just a quick recap. <clears throat> After two and a half years and uh, several millions of dollars invested in the Mueller investigation, uh, last week the attorney general announced that he was, in fact— releasing a red-acted version of a 448-page long report presented in two volumes, three binders. Apparently three. the, the third binder was a background binder uh, that paints a really, really, depending on what sign you look at, is a really, really unflattering picture of the Department of Justice and the Mueller team and the way they investigated it, and a, a, a report that ultimately clears the President Trump of any sort of collaboration, conspiracy, or in his words, collusion, uh, and no obstruction. Or it is also a report that is very damning to the administration, damning to the president, and paints an unflattering picture of the management of the executive office of the president. Uh, we talked in the, in the last episode a lot about you know how the people who surrounded the president, like like Don McGahn, uh, like uh, Jeff Sessions, uh, even Corey Lewandowski's name pops up from time to time. These are people that were actually trying to stave off disaster uh, from by either not listening or not obeying orders to the president. Which, if you listen to the president, that does not happen. But it is a it, it, it's a troubling 448 pages of document to read through if you're you know you know if you're an idealist about your government like I kind of am sometimes. But anyways, I want to go back to one of the questions that popped up when we had the last episode, and and, and Dan Lipner, I want to start with you. 
there were questions, and there's always been questions. Donald Trump has always told the press, yeah, I'm ready to sit down and talk in person with the Mueller investigative team. I know how to handle these people. And ultimately, as it came out, it did not involve President Trump uh, the opportunity to present his case in front of the special counsel's office. Was, was Was this evasion of an interview? Was this calculated? And if it was, was it a good strategy for the Trump team? For the Trump team, probably a good strategy since uh, it's been widely reported that everyone thought the president was going to lie uh, under oath um, to the investigators. That said, his written responses of, I don't remember anything. What do you mean I was elected president? You mean the president can't do things? I don't know anything about that. I'm married to Melania. I don't know who she is. (laughs) Thank you for oversimplifying it, it, Dan. (laughs) <laughs> Not by much. The, the 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 president's statements, and if he had to answer those questions directly, a trained prosecutor would have just laid into him with a zillion different things to refresh his memory on the spot. And the only way around it would have been, again, I hate to keep coming back to the comparing him to a mob boss, But the mob figures who would pretend to have Alzheimer's or dementia in court to try and get around any kind of knowledge of things, because if you if you use evidence to refresh your memory, the only way you can get around knowing anything about anything is to have a mental deficiency. Now, you can argue whether or not this president has already does have a mental deficiency. I'm not going to. We're not going to go. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole today. But the the only way he could avoid that issue was if he had gone face to if it was to not go face to face with a talented prosecutor. And I am quite certain the Mueller team would have been prepared for absolutely everything. Let me ask you a question: If your client is anybody else but Donald Trump. Do you advise your client to speak to the office of special counsel? It depends. I mean, at the end of the day, it's part of it's partially your client's call. But the genius that is Donald Trump also was bent out of shape about uh, the the folks who were taking notes, trying to defend him. So, I mean, he he had forgotten that, or either forgotten or never knew that the White House counsel is the presidency's lawyer, not his lawyer. Right. The White House counsel, this is the Don McGahn thing. Right. And supposedly it was quoted somewhere along the way that when this was when Trump was reminded of this, he said, oh, wait, that's not good. He knows lots of things. The, yeah. Oh, <laughs> true. Let me ask you this question, Dan Littner, as, as an attorney. Do you buy into the argument or the statements from Rudy Giuliani, from Jay Sekulow, who are both outside counsel to the president, uh, former outside counsel Ty Cobb, that any sort of face-to-face with the office of special count or the special counsel's office would have been a quote-unquote perjury trap? Do you buy that? A perjury trap? No, I'm not. This a perjury trap is when you set something up. That's not what this is. They would have been asking the president things that he was party to. 
So calling it a trap for him to tell the truth about things he was involved with suggests that he's just incapable of telling the truth, which might actually be the case, but it's not a trap. It It's just not true. Alan Moore? So much as I don't want to disagree with Dan here, uh, when you have a guy who constitutionally is incapable of telling the truth, any time he speaks under oath, it's a perjury trap. <laughs> so That's true. Okay. So That's one way not, to look at it's it. It's not a conventional uh, perjury trap, uh, as, as, as Dan is describing. The, 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 the Bob Woodward, Woodward book, um, Fear, has, has a really uh, good explanation and description of what went on with the president's personal lawyers and the president himself. The president, uh, regarding this question of whether he should testify before Mueller, um, the president wanted to. He thinks he's the smartest person in the room. He he knows what he knows. He thinks what he thinks. He thinks he's totally consistent. He doesn't see himself as a congenital liar. So in his mind, and, and I'm sure he was getting some advice from outsiders. I don't think anybody on the inside. Uh, yeah, Mr. President, go tell him. Go tell him the, the, the what for. Um, so th- there's he kept wanting to do it. And the lawyers kept saying, no, no, no. And then they finally sat him down for like an hour session, which is a very long session for the president, and started asking all the kinds of questions that they knew that Mueller and the Mueller team would be asking the president. And he he got confused. He got angry. He got frustrated. And he said things that were not true in this practice session. And that that was critically important to that group persuading him not to follow his instincts in this particular case. Um, he, he w- it, it would have been a disaster for him had he done it because he would have been incapable if everything we know about the man before and, and now after this report is true, that, that, that he thinks he's the smartest one in the room and he's not. He thinks he understands the law and lawyers, and he doesn't. And he just mouths off whatever is in his head, and he's used to having people around him say, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. Even if, as we learned in this report, sometimes they say, yes, sir, and then they go out of the room and say, over my dead body. Um, but it, it, it would have it, it would have been a very different uh, enterprise, and there would have been a whole host of potential perjury charges. He would not have been indictable, uh, but there would have been further investigation until he left office. Um, But but it would have been uh, an absolute disaster. Um, Having said that, you know, I think the lawyers, I said this earlier, in trying to figure out a strategy and speed things up, did did make a mistake when they basically said, let's let all these people talk. I think there should have been that 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 having if they had a chance to do it over again, they would exert executive privilege over Don McGahn, for starters, um, and and probably Hope Hicks and 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 a few others who did talk and are identified in the report. And 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 uh, and whose testimony, if you will, is uh, is is extremely right. damaging uh, to the president. So, Laura Chavez, that being the case, 
we're still we're still seeing a very defiant White House, a very defiant uh, administration, and a very defiant president still coming out and claiming vindication that this report clears him of everything. Uh, are we dangerously close to the point where? The rest of America outside the Beltway is just going to become tone deaf to this, and it's not going to matter in, let's say, a year from now as we're in the throes of a 2020 election. Uh, I don't know how to break this to you, but we're already there. Uh, I think CNN had a poll that they released like two days ago that showed like what voters are considering right now when it comes to the 2020 election. And that not only means like Democratic primary, but also like the general. And I think 1% was reported to care about the Mueller report. This isn't something that like everyone kind of knows this. It's very like, um, pardon my terrible parallel that I'm about to draw, but the Mueller report is essentially us weekly to nerds. Like, that is just what it is. Like, the way that I consume People magazines on vacation is the way that most of America is consuming the Mueller report. It's something that you see on the evening news, something you see, you know, Lester Holt talk about. You'll pop in with Wolf Blitzer whenever you can, you know, that kind of thing. But it is not something that matters anymore. This is not going to be necessarily what changes a drastic amount of minds in uh, the American population. This is something where they have kind of moved on. Everyone, most of the country has moved on from this. You know, a lot of the report details were leaked early. So we knew about, you know, we knew about meetings. We knew about uh, the lies. We knew about Comey. We knew about McGahn. We knew uh, the roles that, you know, Roger Stone might be playing. And I think the Roger Stone trial, like that's going to be kind of our extra innings where people might be uh, re-energized again. But for the most part, America's kind of over this. Um, I think it's insulting to them, but by no why, means why do you are say it's insulting? Sleep over it. Why, wait, why do you say it's insulting to them? I think it's pretty insulting to all of us that the White House is, you know, has been lying to us. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, I see what you're um, saying. For, you know, the entirety of his campaign. You know, since he came down that golden staircase, you know, I'd say, I mean, he's, I don't remember, I think it was like 538 did release a poll a month or two or so ago that said, like, he is the most untruthful president we have had in modern times. And mainly, like, just because he lies at a certain pace every day. You know, every speech he had, I think, had an average of at least three lies. And that includes like when he's standing in front of Air Force One about to hop on a plane, about to hop on the chopper to go, you know, fly somewhere. <laughs> Kelsey Priest. Uh, Alan Moore. Yeah. So just just one one little area of dispute with with Laura. She said m- many of the findings were leaked. I don't think anything was leaked from the Mueller report. Many of the things in That's it, were, many yeah. of the things in it were known and have been known. Yeah. And that, that was why early in this the show, I said I didn't see new bombshells. I saw a lot of new information about <laughs> about old bombshells that, and they're all together and you add it all up and it's really troubling. There is one th- one issue. Well, 
there's two issues I think that 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 that, that still could have some legs here. Uh, well, f- f- let, let let us acknowledge that the president's approval ratings in the last ten days in 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 a couple of different polls fell five or six points back into the like the 37 range from 42 43 percent. That but could, that's where he lives. No, oh, no, no, that's no. Where he lives. He yeah. lives in upper thirties, mid forties. Well, exactly. But but he was in he was in you know in in the in in the forties ten days ago, and so he it dropped five or six percent. I don't know whether that's from this or not, but. But I, that is not to disagree with your notion about about the uh, about us weekly for political nerds. But there are a couple things. One in the report, there's there's uh, information that there are twelve other investigations that are going on. Um, though that will be interesting to see what those are. Is there is there something in here that uh, that will catch everybody by surprise and and I I'm not going to speculate on what they might be because that really wouldn't be fair but but you could you know you could conjure up notions of of people close to the president who conceivably could be could be charged with something. Um there there's another thing that that I could see coming up in the in the debates and that is the full two-thirds first volume of this document deals with what the russians did it 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 deals with whether while they were doing it they were in contact purposefully with key members of the campaign or with the president but but there's a devastating detailed report of everything that the Russians did in social media and in hacking. And we are yet to hear from our president about his concerns about this foreign invasion and intrusion into our electoral process. I think that that issue and his continued silence, which I understand he's afraid to touch it because he thinks it speaks to his legitimacy. But good Lord, when we have the president of the United States faced with this detailed now report, this isn't just our intelligence agencies who agree. This but is it's an account of his actions. Detail. He's had plenty of opportunity to call out the Russians for this. I give you the Helsinki meeting. No, no, no. I, listen. I, I, all I'm saying is we now have chapter and verse in far greater detail than we ever had. Um, all of the things they did, and we still have a president who is either silent or in the early days, he hasn't been saying this lately, Putin said he didn't do it. I, you know, I kind of want to believe right. him. He doesn't say that anymore. He doesn't speak to it. He stays away from it. If you look at the Mueller report and and its and its place in history, it's it, it, it his charge was to look at what the Russians did. He looked at what the Russians did. What the Russians did should scare the hell out of but all a, of us, and this president has not expressed any such concern. Shouldn't shouldn't this scare Americans more that as the Office of Special Counsel investigated the scary story of what the Russians actually did in November, in our 2016 national election, and then as they dug, they found out an entire you know 
set of lies, half-truths, almost perjurous activity during the investigation that they had to come up with a whole second volume to talk about just that aspect. I mean, it's one thing to be ignorant, naive about what the Russians did or even trying to protect a possible distant ally, but it's another thing to actually, again, Mueller in, in the obstruction volume comes up with 10 definable probable cause statements for obstruction. I, I wouldn't say probable cause. I would say he investigated 10 different areas and found information and 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 was not prepared to exonerate. That's different than probable cause in, in my view. I will defer to to uh, our lawyer if, if, if he sees it differently. Um, it, it, it look, I <laughs> I am not defending the, uh, the, the the president's actions. I it just when I think about the great big picture, uh, okay, and the fact that the Russians were able to do as much as they did and very possibly affected the outcome of a presidential election, right. Oh my God, that scares the crap out of me, and I think it scares the the, the crap out of all of us uh, uh, political nerds um, who do care about the integrity of our electoral system. Um, and I'd love to think that at some pl- at some point, some place, our president could join in that uh, chorus, right, and say, "This cannot happen. This cannot happen again." Um, and we are taking a whole host of steps. We have a Department of Homeland Security who has major responsibility for these kinds of issues that's spending most of its time and energy down on the border dealing about a human, with a humanitarian crisis of mothers and children. Um, we've got a way bigger problem and way bigger threat to America, and, and if we think that the Russians are the only one who care about trying to have some influence— um, not to mention, not to mention domestic interests who want to use some of the same techniques that the Russians proved to be effective. Um, we, we, we've got we've got significant major issues. I'd love to hear a president, our president, say something about them and how it's a it's a priority of but our government to stop this, and it, we get nothing. We get we, we do get nothing, but this also ties into. Dan Lipner, uh, I said this with Alan on the last show, whereas if you look at volume one, it describes a almost comical, uh, almost a comical Keystone Cops operation that was either incredibly naive or just calculatedly stupid. And then you turn it around and you look at volume two, and it is a, uh, a, a gross display of egotism at best, uh, possible obstruction of justice charges, assuming that they don't blow through the statute of limitations on it down the road uh, for a seated president. How do we go? For, how do we go from literally? Crazy, stupid, to feloniously uh, obstructive, and expect the American electorate to kind of go, yeah, all right. Laura, can you take a swipe at that? 
So the thesis of your question is how do we get the shift in the American uh mental status, if you will? Well, I mean... Is that kind of the crux? Well, yeah. I mean, I would be I would be highly disturbed that a, a, a group of uh, question... I, I don't know how, to, how well, the right way to put it, but a, a, a group of just stupid actors got elected a guy that now that he's elected and all that stupidity has come to light, they're now obstructing the the investigation that's going to show them being stupid. Absolutely. Well, it's kind of a it's a survival thing at this point in time. Like, genuinely, this administration is. It, and I know that I believe it's a topic up coming up, but impeachment is on the table at this point in time. People are discussing it. People have been discussing it since you know November six, twenty sixteen, but. It is now like a reality where people are actually talking. So there has to be some sort of like defense to this offense that's coming at them. So, yeah, I think the ability for the um, the Trump administration, I was trying to think of like a sports metaphor, uh, not my real house. Um, but, but the ability for the Trump administration to throw blockade after blockade after blockade at the people who are coming to find these different truths is exactly what they should. It's exactly what I would be advising them to do. Like you need to survive the next 18 months and then you need to hope that your base, which is not going anywhere, rallies everyone all up again and, you know, pushes to try and get you reelected. This isn't going to be an easy fight. Not necessarily because of the democratic party or the democratic candidate, whomever that might be, uh, I don't know if that's going to be the challenge, but the challenge is going to be the perception of how you were and how you were in the executive office, how you were in the Oval. Uh, that is a place where, you know, I think I, much like you, I'm a bit of a government idealist. I like to think that people are still, you know, doing the best they can to, you know, make this an amazing country. People are, you know, pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, but, you know, that's not always the case. But the Oval is still a place where there should be such reverence. There, Anyone who walks in there, you know, you don't see people walking in even, like, with ripped jeans to go visit the White House. People put on, like, their Sunday best. People, like, really step it up to try and show the reverence that the office deserves. The problem right now is that the office is in a bit of a identity crisis. So... With that said, you've got to really work to try and salvage that. Right now, you know, you've got people in the administration. First, you have an administration that's, you know, continuing to hemorrhage people, um, whether it's, you know, uh, Kirsten, Kirsten Gillibrand, or not Kirsten Gillibrand, sorry, Kirsten Nielsen, <laughs> very different Kirsten, uh, no J. Um, but whether it's Kirsten Nielsen or uh, Hope Hicks from, year, from what feels like years and years and years ago, um, to Rob Porter, you've got a laundry list of people that, you know, are kind of questionable right. in their motives, their attitudes, their public perception. So you really need to kind of find the good there. And if that means you're cutting the press off at the knees, then that's what it means. If it means, you know, you're advising your entire staff to not go to the White House Correspondence Center um, so you can prove that, you know, People do obey your orders right. when you give them. Right. Like, if that's what it is, that's what you have to do. Like, as much as I hate to say it, they're in preservation mode right now. Right. 
and they need to take all the small victories they can, and they need to actually create some small victories. Alan Moore, let me ask you, there were several times that the president was uh, critical of his attorney general, Jeff Sessions, uh, during this time. He, at one point, even according to the Mueller report, uh, had compared them or contrasted him, comparing him to Eric Holder and Robert Kennedy. Uh, does this report validate the right choice of Jeff Sessions, or does it show him overreacting? Well, as far as recusing himself. He had to recuse himself. He he was advised by the senior ethics officers in the department that in light of the fact of, of, of what he had uh, done during the campaign, what he said to the Congress, and and what what was needing uh, an investigation, right. he really had no choice. He would have been hounded out of office by Republicans and Democrats in the Congress had he chosen not to recuse. So he was he was really caught. What was a surprise was the president's reaction, who took it all very personally and began berating Sessions and tried to get him out of office, not realizing that he was making something of a martyr of the very average senator, uh, Jeff Sessions, who was being rewarded for his early loyalty. I, I was never enamored of that choice. Um, uh, b- but I thought that the president's treatment of right. him was was horrendous and and, and shabby, um, and uh, and and he did what he had to do. At that would, which point you better find a good deputy because he's the one who's going to be in charge. And the president loved uh, Rod Rosenstein at first, and then and then turned on him. Uh, and he's now said his days are numbered. Uh, hey, Lord Chavez, how how? ingrained is this quote from President Trump, according to the Mueller report, going to be? Parents, if you have kids listening, cover their ears because we're usually a family-oriented. Oh, my God, this is terrible. This is the end of my presidency. I'm fucked. Uh, Is is that that Trump's I have a dream? Is that Trump's uh, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself? Um. I actually, I unfortunately, because I, again, would really love to think that, like, every president will have a great moment. I think that's what he's going to go down in history as saying. And I partially say that because I am an avid podcast listener. Um, I love a political podcast. I, I obviously not only participate sometimes with you, but I try to listen as much as I can. Um, I think almost every one of the podcasts that I listen to that has a political spin had that as its title for the week. Like, oh. that is 100% what Rob, people are going to walk away with. Yeah. Rob, we may like, need to change the title on, on the uh, on the live feed. Yeah, we're going to have to go to Plan B. Yeah, it's crap. Yeah. Oh, but, my um, God, this is terrible. This is the end of our podcast. We're fucked. Thank you. Thank you. Good night, ladies of, and gentlemen. Yeah, all right. <laughs> thank, you, right. Mr. thank you, Mr. President, for making it possible <laughs> for newspapers to write the F word, for us on, on podcasts but, and so on to drop F-bombs. be able to drop the F-bomb. Right and left. Oh, yeah. Um, and the FCC. Thank you, Mr. President. Yeah, but, Whatever golf course you're on, thank you, Mr. President. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, I'm, getting the yeah, evil, but, I'm getting the evil death stare from behind the glass. We're going to take a break when we come back. Yeah, thank you, Charlie. Charlie's giving us the real evil death stare. We're going to come back when we talk to impeach or not to impeach. That is the question. We'll be back in two minutes. This is Backroom Politics. 
in Podcast Village, Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics with your host and moderator, Justin Russell. And you know that new break music, the new bumper music we got, that, that little slow delta, slow hand. That's some good stuff there. That is some really good stuff there. I am your host and moderator, Justin Russell. In studio with me, Alan Moore. And joining us in studio... He is the fine proprietor and our host here at Podcast Village, Charlie Bernie. Hey, Charlie. Thanks for joining hey, Justin. us. Hi, Alan. We love it's having nice to join everybody. We love that. Uh, out there in the Windy City, she is our media goddess. She is one, She is uh, Laura Chavez. And then, of course, Dan Littner Esquire out there in the Bay Area. Uh, we're continuing a little different take on this. Now that the Mueller report's out and now that the Democrats have pretty much started foaming at the mouth on this, uh, with the exception of apparently Nancy Pelosi and a handful of other Democrats. The question now that comes up, to impeach or not to impeach? That is the big question. Uh, if you listen to Nancy Pelosi, House Speaker, Democrat of California, she'll tell you absolutely not. Let's take our time, see what's going on. Uh, but if you listen to Elizabeth Warren last night on CNN during the town hall, I mean, she was ready to just go full-on Bastille Day. Uh, absolutely amazing. Let me start with you. Dan Lipner, being the flaming liberal that you are, what say you? Do you impeach or not impeach? So, I mean, it's a two-part question. So the, 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 the politics of it and the what's your constitutional duty here? And at a minimum... Uh, uh, the constitutional duty seems to be you have to continue to investigate this. And whether or not you call them impeachment proceedings or not, um, several House committees have begun to to subpoena uh, key figures uh, from the uh, Mueller report fame, as well as potentially Mueller himself. And that investigation kind of needs to happen it's the it's the responsibility of congress to have oversight on the executive and for all those all those federalist society folks um i i know the one they, they've been remarkably silent when dealing with trump uh but those who actually believe in what the federalist society talks about will rapidly point out that the article one powers is Congress. Congress was created before the presidency and is supposed to have primacy over the presidency because the founders did fear a tyrannical executive. So that oversight needs to occur. And to Elizabeth Warren's point, and I, I've, she spoke carefully and said, yeah, the, the proceedings needed to occur. I would have preferred she didn't use the word impeachment, but those investigations must happen if we actually want to take the idea that we are a country of laws, not of men, and, and that Congress needs to have oversight of the executive. Politically, I am not unsympathetic to people's views that if this is done poorly, which because we are Democrats, we are more than capable of, of snatching uh, victory, excuse me, snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory um, to to blow it to over a player hand. And 
there is a fear that Donald Trump could cl- proclaim to martyr himself. Worth noting, he's martyred himself on absolutely everything. Right. Um, so maybe maybe that ship has already sailed and the public is numb to it as well. I don't know. But it, it is not an argument that is without merit. But if you actually believe in our system of government, um, it seems like the investigations have to go forward. Though we have a pretty good idea where some of them will take us, it has to happen. And I hope nobody overshoots or overplays their hand. Right, right. But this is some serious stuff. I hear you. Let me, Laura Chavez, you've been out and about in places outside the Beltway. Uh, are, are you hearing the fact that, you know, it, all right, Mueller Report's done, but do they cringe? Do they get hives? Do they start running helter-skelter when they hear the word impeachment? Do they care? Uh, or is there some sort of in between where you know they're like, yeah, somebody should smack him in the head. Let's give him a censure and walk call it a day. So, um, partially due to the way the media has been treating this topic, there is very just there is no gray area. It is black or white. It is impeachment or nothing. Um, with that said. You've got people on both sides of that argument. Some people really are fed up. They can't believe they've had to endure so many months and years of this presidency. And you have other people that can't believe, you know, that in all honesty, like this is just like stealing up their support of him. The fact that he's so strong to have not only led the country to have, you know, to go stronger borders or a stronger economy or, you know, whatever they're seeing on Fox News, in all honesty, um, And it's kind of just stealing their support of the presidency. But the main thing is that people are looking to 2020. Uh, The impeachment thing is, for lack of a better term, it's a cool idea to think about, but nobody fully grasped what impeachment is. Like the last time we had something remotely close to this with Clinton, um, prior to that, when you hear impeachment, you think Nixon, and he is obviously like, not one of the, he's very few people's favorite president. Um, So it very much feels when you say impeachment to someone who isn't necessarily really well-versed in what that means, uh, you know, going through the House, going through the Senate, making sure that, you know, you have the votes to do everything, but even just the political jockeying, it just sounds like, it sounds like more political jockeying. And that's not what the United States wants right now, or that's not what a lot of Americans want right now. That's not what a lot of Americans need right now. Right now, they need, you know, some would argue they just need the stronger borders. They need the wall. They need, that's what they need. Or they need a job, or they need a new space for clean energy. You know, there are so many other things that people need. People just kind of want to say, okay, the Mueller report's out. Let's move on. I need to put food on the table. Alan Moore? Yeah, I I think that, that uh, that Dan was sort of trying to have it both ways. He was saying the obvious that we need to have an investigation. Are you shocked by this? That I was not at all, but I, I didn't I didn't want to let it go unremarked upon. Um, on the one hand, we have this duty to investigate. There's a lot of material in the uh, uh, in the Mueller report uh, that 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 invites uh, further uh, investigation. Um, uh, I, I will remind Dan when he talks about the the Article One being first. Well, it's first in order, but I think they were all approved 
simultaneously. So um, it, it's not that uh, the Congress is necessarily first uh, uh uh, in 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 sequence, it's, like, other it's than like being the first born of triplets. Uh, well, <laughs> well, I'm ten but, seconds older, but, damn it! But even they, even that occurs in an order, not simultaneously. <laughs> if maybe a C-section where they all came out at the same time. Um, <laughs> Anyway, hold on, hold on, Dan. Dan let let, let <laughs> Alan finish, and I'll give you a shot. And then, and then I was, hold on, hold on, was, hold on, Dan. I will give you rebuttal. And then I was I promise. Amused, and, and and then I was amused when he said he wished that Elizabeth Warren hadn't used the word impeachment. That's the point, Dan. She said, let's move forward with impeachment. It wasn't an accident. It was what she said. What Nancy Pelosi and and now uh, and Nadler and Schiff are all saying is, we need to pursue investigate this investigation. We need to follow all the paths that we knew of before and that, and that uh, the Mueller report has opened up to us. It's premature to talk about whether we should initiate impeachment if depending upon what we learn in the investigation we may have to go that route but meanwhile and nancy pelosi says that too meanwhile they all have fresh in their memories if they were here then uh pelosi was and and steny hoyer was they remember what happened with the highly politicized impeachment of uh, William President Jefferson Clinton. Clinton, where he was, there were articles of impeachment that passed the House. There was, in fact, a trial in the Senate. It was not bipartisan. You cannot, you cannot um, uh, succeed in the trial without two thirds of the Senate. If you don't have a bipartisan process, you will fail. And it looked like uh, a political hit job on President Clinton. That's what Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, and others fear will happen. Having said that, I agree with Dan that there's also a duty here. It is a duty and responsibility that is laid out in the Constitution that that they should pursue. There's plenty of stuff to well, look hold, at. Hold on, let me just jump in real quick and yep. ask you this question: Does oversight meet that mark, or is the only way you can achieve that through impeachment? No, they've got several different committees that are looking. Right, you've got the oversight committee, you've got judiciary committee, and That's Dan Lipner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oversight you, committee, the judiciary uh, <laughs> committee, and the intelligence committee, and right? The, and there are the, just in the in the in the House, there are three different major strains of information that that should be looked at. It doesn't have to be an impeachment proceeding per right. se. You call in witnesses, and then you decide. Well, I think we're going to have to open an impeachment right. proceeding. It's it's going to be a decision made by by political leadership in the House, as well as um, in coordination it's with gonna, well, the it's Senate. Gonna, well, no, the Senate you can't do that in a vacuum. You, you, they they have to make decisions on their own. They, it's not like they're not going to talk to the Senate. The outcome in the Senate's pretty clear that that barring some new major pieces of information. It, it there's no pathway right. to getting two thirds of the votes of the Senate. That isn't to say that Pelosi wouldn't right. talk to Schumer about it, but but they're not going to ignore uh, powerful grounds for impeachment 
um, simply because they're afraid of the right. politics. Let, that would be contrary to the let me go to, of, let me go to Dan Lipner too. Let me go to Dan Lipner for a rebuttal. Dan, you now have the floor, sir, and then I'm going to go to Charlie Bernie. <laughs> oh, Dan's off. Okay. Uh, th- that means that, all right, Charlie. Well, you can go to me. I'm just going to totally derail the conversation. Go ahead. Because I'm remembering the the Clinton trial and the impeachment, Alan, and you were talking earlier in the uh, previous segment about the catchphrase for the presidency and Trump's was included the uh, ribald language. But mine from Clinton was, it depends on what your definition of the word is, is. And I've never been able to get that out of my mind ever yeah. since he said that. And, and we now have That's the new the, one. <laughs> uh, but, but Charlie, let me ask you yeah. this question. Is, uh, and, and actually, let me just divert to Alan mm-hmm. for 30 seconds. Give me... Is censure an option here? No. Why? No, I think uh, the, the, the options are, I mean, people can go censure them. They do that every day in the House, but they're not going to take an action of formal censure. It would have no particular meaning. It would be symbolic and seen as purely partisan. The Constitution lays out a process. That's where impeachment exists. And impeachment um, it, it is put in there for Im- impeaching the president. You can impeach other other senior officials too. But you could have a censure of the president for activities. Don't I just don't see that occurring. I just the the, the censure occurs in the public space and right. in the debate space and and you're going to have tw- you've got 20 candidates for president on the Democrat side now or 19 going towards 20. They will all be condemning. They will all be cens- censuring if you will the president. All right. That Fair it, enough. It, it would it would just become a a, a meaningless weak exercise. Yeah. Charlie does the American is the American electorate prepared, ready, or can it handle another impeachment? Well, they can handle it. I don't think. Uh, I think. Uh, let me just add what my 19-year-old daughter would want me to say right now because she's that? very tuned in. Just come back from a debate in Panama. She's she does not want impeachment because her peer group is more afraid of Pence. Really? So she's voting for no impeachment and but, rooting for but, no impeachment. But even I just thought I'd throw a bomb in there. No, yeah. no, no, I'm sorry no, about that. that. That's, not, that's not unusual. We're hearing a lot of that from a lot of places. And, Lord Travis, I guess you're hearing that as well as, you know, we'll take the devil that we know rather than the devil we don't know. Yeah, Isabel feels pretty strongly about that. Yeah, yeah and that's how a fair amount of people feel. Um, with that said, it's not that they like the devil they know. Uh, <laughs> no. Just to be clear, um, <laughs> I, I remember uh, early on in like early on in 2016 when everyone was talking about like, oh, gosh, wouldn't it be, you know, wouldn't it be something if there was some sort of, you know, information released in the Mueller report where it took out essentially the first three of uh, Donald Trump, Mike Pence and Paul Ryan at the time. And everyone was like, wow, President Orrin Hatch, that's not what I ever thought I'd root for. But um, I remember. Yeah. yeah. Right. But it's one of those things that a lot of people, um, at least with Donald Trump, yes, you are dealing with like chaos theory, but the chaos theory, you know, might possibly be okay, or at least you can kind of assume that it won't impact your life negatively. Or, you know, he doesn't know how to use politics. He doesn't know, you know, he doesn't know how to use this toy he's been given. He doesn't know the right way to jockey for votes. He doesn't know the right way to work with Congress. He doesn't know any of that stuff. Whereas Mike Pence, 
he, while he doesn't have the federal experience that, you know, many um, people in Congress, uh, both House and state, he's no Mitch McConnell, you could say, but he knows how to work with people on his side, which would allow him a little bit more leverage, which would give him greater state. Like, even if you just look at him, he looks more he looks more the part of a state than Donald Trump. Yeah, so, Lord Chavez, so, I, I just want yeah. to make sure I heard you correctly when you said, and I quote, when, when referring to Mike Pence, he's no Mitch McConnell? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He's no Mitch McConnell. Because Mitch McConnell can look at a Supreme Court nominee eight months away from a presidential election and say, we shouldn't vote on this, guys. That's too far away. I'm going to use all of my cronies that I can find to make sure Merrick Garland doesn't get on the Supreme Court and then just cross my fingers that, you know, we get a Republican candidate, never mind the fact that it's probably the most disgusting Republican candidate, if I may speak freely. I apologize by offense. Um, but and just hope that, you know, someday we get somebody on the we get the chance to vote someone on the court. Who, you know, while Gorsuch isn't necessarily my favorite justice, he's not as bad as we thought he was going to be. Enter Brett Kavanaugh, who, for some reason, the only, the best, I suppose, the best option that this administration saw for a, you know, nominee was someone who did, who, despite, you know, the fact that he's a great soccer coach for his daughters, he's a good dad, he's a good husband, you know, he's done all of these things could not justify the fact that, you right. know, you know, he can't control his temper. Right. He was accused of okay. like many things. But with that said, like, he, yeah, he's no Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell <laughs> got everyone to pass on Merrick Garland, who was a wet dream for both parties. He we're a family show. Whoa, whoa, we're a family <laughs> show. Wait a minute. Really? Wait a we minute. dropping... You guys were dropping the. We were. We don't talk about wet dreams, madam. And and of course, you've also offended the delicate sensibilities of one Alan Moore. No, 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 no. no. I find it. It does seem like a double standard. I find it. You guys get to throw around those words. I find you can use wet dream as much as you want. It all depends on your personal preference, but, but. But I, but what I'm intrigued. Into? We but are I, so hashtag me too right now. But, but I am, tri- yeah. I'm intrigued with the notion of Merrick Garland being a wet dream for both parties. Will you stop using the term wet now, dream? I'm quoting. I'm Will quoting. Jesus. Oh, I, 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 I hope Merrick Garland listens to. I had show. no idea that. <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. I had no idea that such yeah. a person existed. But but anyway. Yes, yeah, because Merrick Garland I, I, was one of the few candidates that you could throw up. That Democrats were like, ah, he's not great, but he'll work. And Republicans could look at him and be like, ah, he's not great, but he'll work. And that's literally the best right. you can hope for in this political climate. Charlie, you, you agree the with all that? you can hope I for think so. is the, for someone yeah. to look at you, shrug, and be like, ah, eh. not so bad. Charlie, yeah. it maybe work. it's just in the definitions of that term that you oh, don't want term, to be yeah, yeah. I don't know, we're not using that term anymore. Charlie, you agree with all Would you prefer these like end of the night at a bar? You know, I'm starting to feel I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel a little hashtag me too here, Laura. It's it hashtag oh, why not me? Uh, <laughs> welcome to the world of women. <laughs> here we go. Yeah. Okay. 
Charlie, you you agree with Laura yeah. except for the wet dream part. No, I'm I'm going to stay out of that, but I agree with her. Yes. <laughs> okay. I don't want to get Alan mad at me. I don't. I don't. No. Think, uh, no, I don't think Alan's mad. I'm the, I'm the one going. I'm stop not, using the word wet I, dream. I just had never heard of somebody who could qualify for both parties. Yeah. I thought, I, wow, and I certainly seems not relatively Garland. significant. Yeah. Um, I, I I just got worried that she was actually referring to Mitch McConnell as a wet dream, which brings up a whole new. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you. Come on. Yeah. R- it's Rob, a family show. What's this is a family now that is, Get that yeah. out of your mind. You know, I'm, I'm sort of surprised we're here now talking about uh, the Supreme Court, Merrick Garland, and so on. But I'll say this about, about, about McConnell. Talk about a gamble. Talk about yeah, a riverboat true. gamble. Right? That, yeah. that, that I, I would acknowledge that if, if Hillary Clinton had been elected, there's no way in my thinking that Merrick Garland would have been her nominee. There would have nope. been pressure for it. It would not have been, it would not have been a him. And at the time that, that, that McConnell made the decision, um, and I think we, we spent a lot of time talking about that at the time, and I felt that he really didn't have a choice, that he, that he needed to do that. But it was a huge gamble because chances are he was going to end up with, with somebody on the court who was less um, uh, problematic, who was even more problematic for Republicans, but it was something that he, that, that he could not avoid, didn't avoid, and look what happened. Oh my God, a Republican, <laughs> this Republican got elected. This and, Republican. And, 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 and followed the advice of people around him on who should be nominated because let's face right. it, this president, other than his sister, didn't know anybody who was in the federal system and right. really didn't understand it and was going to have to rely, as most presidents do, on uh, on expertise. I, I have absolutely lost total control. We've gone from talking about the possibility of impeaching the seated president of the United States to talking about wet dreams and Merrick Garland to, and we're starting Supreme to talk Court. about Supreme Court. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We've brought that one for a little circle. Uh, Charlie, <laughs> Charlie, let me finish up with you on this one. Oh, Lord. Okay. Uh, no, I mean, at the end of the day, whether or not Donald Trump gets impeached or not, has his legacy been set because the first three years of his presidency? Yes, I think so. Yeah. I mean, the chances of him recovering out of that tailspin? Absolutely not. He doesn't care either. So, no, I don't think so. Alan Moore, yeah. Alan Moore you agree? Yeah, I think, sadly, um, that the die was cast early, uh, way back in the beginning. I chose to be hopeful. Um, my hopes were dashed early on, um, largely with with, uh, with some of the statements that he made about about Muslims and the Muslim ban and the pain uh, that it needlessly and gratuitously caused uh, uh, people all over the world and a great number of Americans. Um, and then he just continued to uh, uh, to double down. Um, on on that uh, uh, racism and bigotry, um, and then he began to 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 do other things and and showed no discipline and this extraordinary narcissism and and uh, lack of truthfulness and so on. And and I don't now I, I'm no longer hopeful right. that any of that will change. We've survived it. If you know, it's interesting. <laughs> People are saying we'll keep him. 
instead of Pence. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. Now, what kind of a st- I don't happen to agree with that. But 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 what does that say about poor about poor old Mike Pence and what he's turned into in terms of, of even young people saying, yeah. oh, my God, Pence could be worse yeah. um, or he might be more competent. You know. uh, wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but. Uh, yeah, I think we're I, I think we're 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 stuck with this guy. I don't well, see a successful impeachment. Doesn't mean there shouldn't be a pro, a process. It's a real interesting it's a dilemma. Of, it's a waste. Well, of time. it's not a waste, and that's the problem. If you if you choose not to pursue it, then are you opening yourself up to the same so kind of? So you're damned if you do. You're damned if you exactly, don't. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, so there's all why? this there's all this criticism about Republicans' re- refusal uh. to stand up and do their duty, if you will. Well. Wait for the criticism of Democrats among right. themselves about not doing their constitutional duty. But, I, but that goes back. To, that goes back to the point that Dan always brings up: the the ability of the Democratic Party to snatch defeat out of the certain throws of victory. You, you know, the, the, well, that's been the country for a is long time. right, yeah. and 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 you ha- and Charlie, you have to admit that I mean, this country, as divided as it is, as toxic as it has become, the politics, the partisanship, the demagoguery. You throw an impeachment process in there, that's just going to gaslamp the whole damn thing. I, I, I agree. I'm I'm hoping that due diligence can be done, as Alan and Dan have suggested, but that we won't quite get there because I think it could be very divisive, much more divisive. His base could go rebel on us all. I mean, I, I don't want to get there. I mean, you know, I, I hate to say this, and, and, and I don't want to discount, you know, the, the trauma that—, that that Monica Lewinsky's gone through, but you know when we went through the last impeachment, it was the president lying and perjuring himself about a stain on a blue dress. Yep. This no about it, a relationship about a rela- with a young woman, an inappropriate relationship. But it was the he lied under oath, oath and he engaged in an effort to conceal it. So there was both obstruction and but perjury. we did not. But what right. we did not have at that time. My point being is what we did not have at that time was a demagoguery-based, bitter political divide that we have. It was a lifetime ago, as far as bipartisanship, political... There was a divide, but nowhere near as toxic as it is now. And I think you throw an impeachment process in this, and it's just going to light a fuse. Well, the thing that, that, that Nancy Pelosi fears is that it will rally support towards the president because the public doesn't care as much, by and large doesn't care, as much as us uh, us weekly... Uh, well, now, Laura, what did you nerds. call us? What did you call us? <laughs> you know, well, she she just said the Mueller report was was us weekly for nerds. Right. Um, and, and, and so, um, but the fear is... <coughs> That it will generate a backlash, as it did in favor of President Clinton. <coughs> and so they're damned if they do, and they're damned right. if they don't. L- Lord Chavez, uh, last question to you is, um, is, is the fact that Americans don't care more of an indictment of the 24-hour news process and the folk and the hyper-focus on this issue, or... Are, as you put it earlier, are they just in fact like put food on my table, keep a roof over my house, keep my job here, lower my taxes, take care of my kids, protect me from from the boogeyman, and 
I don't need anything more. I, I wish it could be far more romantic and poetic, but I genuinely think people right now are focused. I mean, on they're focused on themselves and surviving and, you know, making sure they're able to put their kids in a good school. And I think that's really where the focus is. It's not necessarily that they don't understand that the Mueller report is important. It's not that they don't understand that the president, you know, having you know, 30-some issues of, like, he doesn't recall. It's not that they don't understand Sarah Huckabee Sarah Sanders not telling the truth isn't important. It's not that they don't understand that. It's that in the priority of their life, right? there are things that they have time to worry about and things that they don't have time to worry about. This is something they don't have time to worry about right now. Oh, yeah, true. Uh, that being the case, Lord Travis gets the last word. Uh, hey, Rob the Engineer, real quick, can you play us out to the the just, not not the new bumper or the new intro song, but just the music itself? Can we play that out? Yeah, we can. Let me get it pulled up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm so proud of this. I love this music. Actually, actually, it was Rob the Engineer. I found it. He comes in and he goes, hey, man, I got the, I got the right music for this intro. I was like, really? And he it's pulled it out. Podcast Village touch for you. Man. It is. And that is why... This is the nerve center of podcasting. Uh, first of all, uh, on behalf of Dan Lipner, Dan, thanks for joining us from the Bay Area. Laura Chavez, we always love having you. Come join us again, as always. Uh, in studio, Alan Moore, Charlie Bernie, our host. Who's, Thank you. Who's Charlie Bernie? I don't know. We, yeah, you, yeah. You, you were talking. You were on. You were on a podcast talking about wet dreams. I, I don't That's. Know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was Rob, he was trying to avoid it. I, I was trying. Him, but, yeah, and by the way, he's now he, as the owner now. He's looking at Rob. Depends on what going, your definition of what dreams is. Yeah, yeah, again, stop with the red dreams. <laughs> now he's looking. Now you're. I'm, I'm surprised you're not looking at Rob putting in a a seven second delay right now. Rob the engineer, seven second delay coming. We'll have to make it happen for sure. There we go. I'm your host, moderator, Justin Russell. By the way, you can follow us on Backroom Politics on Twitter. You can follow us on Instagram at Backroom Politics. You can follow the historical documents and old shows at backroompolitics.org. You can also download us as a podcast, which most of you do, on your favorite podcast service. Whether it's iTunes, Google Podcasts, or even Spotify, yeah, we're kind of a big deal. Kind of gives you a wet dream once in a while. Oh, no. I am out of here. Have a great week, Speak America. For yourself, yeah, man. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We'll see you, America. Yeah. Bye bye.